All About You is a memoir. I have tried to recreate events, locales, and conversations from my memories of them. In order to maintain their anonymity in some instances, I have changed the names of individuals and places. I may have changed some identifying characteristics and details, such as physical properties, occupations, and places of residence. Chapter 28. The Post and Courier. I tried not to let a quiet phone and unanswered questions bother me, but they did, especially when well-meaning friends who knew my story inquired whether or not there had been any movement in the case. It was during one of these conversations with a friend outside my children's preschool that I was overheard by another mother. She took an interest in my story and found myself eager to delight new ears. However, this time would be different. Her name was Jennifer Hawes, a feature writer for the local newspaper, and she wanted to do a story about me. Jennifer was also an adopted child, but her story was quite different from mine. She always knew she was adopted and had been sought out by her birth mother at a young age. They had a relationship. It wasn't perfect, but it was good for her. I eagerly agreed to do this article with her, and we met over coffee so I could regale her with my entire story. We were there for hours, and it was very exciting not only to tell my story as I had done a hundred times, but also to have her questions and insights that challenged me emotionally. The paper asked me to come down for pictures and bring my children. I was so convinced that I looked like my mother that they even did an age progression picture of me to show what I might look like at her age. The story ran in May of 2002. At the time, I didn't subscribe to the newspaper, So I got up very early that morning and ran to the gas station to pick up a copy. I was just as excited as I had been in the past, getting up at the break of dawn to grab a newspaper and read the reviews of plays I had been doing for years and years. This event was much bigger and more exciting. I sat in the car in my sleep t-shirt and shorts with my slippers on and read so that I could have some quiet to think about the story as Jennifer told it before the children were all over me at home. I was really pleased with the article and the story she told. I was glad that people knew how hard it was to do these searches and how I wished I could reach my birth mother. Who know who might read this article and what changes it could inspire? Who, indeed? It was a Sunday, May 2002. There was a woman in town visiting relatives. It was after a long overdue visit. She hadn't been to Charleston in 13 years so she decided to linger over the Sunday newspaper before driving back to her hometown in South Carolina. She saw the article and read it with interest because her best friend, from the time they were five years old, had given up a child for adoption, and it was a topic that was close to her heart, a secret she had not spoken of in 34 years. Then she saw the date of my birth and stopped to take a closer look at my face. Shit! she said, and got in her car and drove home fast. She called her best friend the minute she got home. Blank, your daughter is looking for you. By the time I got home from the gas station, strangers who had seen the article were already calling me to share their stories. It was before nine in the morning. The children were up and bouncing around in their playroom, and my husband was leaving for his morning bike ride. 
He had been against the article all along, and was eager to get away from the emotional toll he thought it would have on me. He barely even read it. Truthfully, the constant ring of the phone was a welcome distraction from discussing my feelings with him. The most significant call came from a woman named Heather. She saw my story and had to call right away. She was born a few months before me in a similar scenario. Her mother also stayed in the Florence Crittenden home in anticipation of giving her up for adoption. Her family had always been very open about her story. Huh, and she didn't get a stutter? It was an important one for them because Heather had not been an easy child to place. She was born with what presented as a heart problem and was turned down by the first family, which was afraid to take a baby that might have health issues. The next family on the list was a pediatrician and his wife, and they accepted Heather despite the worry. As it turned out, she was fine, and whatever anomaly they thought would be a problem never materialized. As she was telling me this tale, it was so hard not to blurt out, I've heard this story. It was my parents who passed on her. I could have been her. I could have been Heather, the daughter of a pediatrician, so close to having a totally different family, all these years later to be talking on the phone with her. We took a few minutes to process this together. What a remarkable coincidence. When Heather turned 18, her family helped her start the search for her birth mother. Lucky girl. My family still never spoke of it. I never told them anything I had done to search for this woman, my mother. I couldn't imagine they would have any interest in helping me, so I had kept it to myself. This article was their first inkling of the desire I still had. They were very upset about the article. They called me days after it was printed to tell me that I had treated them badly in the article by insinuating that I felt different from the family. I had performed the ultimate act of Southern betrayal. I had aired the dirty laundry. They were getting phone calls of sympathy from aunts and cousins. I should be ashamed of myself. Heather completely understood my yearning to know and the difficulties I was facing, but her family had found a private investigator that specializes in reuniting adoptees and their birth families. She offered to share the name of the investigator with me and hoped I would have the same luck. I was overwhelmed that within hours of this article hitting the streets of Charleston, I had been given the key to unlocking my mystery. Heather and I said goodbye, and in my singular focus to accomplish future contact with my birth mother, I lost her contact information and never spoke to her again. It is one of my biggest regrets. I didn't waste any time. First thing on Monday morning, I called the contact that Heather had given me. Yes, the lady was still a private investigator, and she would be happy to help me for $500. It would take some time, but eventually she guaranteed I would have all the information I needed. She guaranteed. So again I waited. In the meantime, I sent Miss Popular a copy of the newspaper article so she could know a bit about me and perhaps one day try to speak with blank. I recalled the agony of being six, seven, and eight years old waiting for Christmas. It seemed like the days were as long as the entire year. I would do specific things to mark the time. I would set timers to let me know that at least an hour had passed by. I would watch TV. That's another 30 minutes gone by. I would go outside, play, and run in to see how long I had been active. One hour, maybe less. It was torture. That was nothing 
compared to the days and weeks that I waited to hear from that investigator. At least I had my children. They were enough to keep anyone occupied. We spent many hours staying playful and busy to help take my mind off waiting for the sound of the mail truck. Everything froze for me until my mail lady got closer and closer up the street. It became rather comical to see me dash out the door, waving and getting my mail right in my hands, trying to hide my disappointment every day as it brought no news. As more than a month passed, I began to think that my investigator had gotten the one case that could not be solved, the one seal that could not be cracked. Perhaps my birth parents were even more powerful than the report led on. My mother was not only from this important, socially upstanding family, but the boy she loved was even more connected. He could be a junior senator from the state of South Carolina, being groomed for bigger and more important things. In her attempts to hold on to him, all secrets were revealed. The shame, the disgrace could never taint this Kennedy-esque family. A well-placed phone call or a dinner conversation over a single malt scotch, the records were removed from the Children's Bureau and destroyed. I was not home on the day it arrived. Spring had warmed into summer, and we spent the day at the beach. The beach was always the best place to lose time, and I was grateful for the fun, the sandcastles, and the mud mask for my legs and feet. For the second time in my life, a manila envelope was sticking out of my mailbox, waiting to give me the information I craved. For the second time in my life, my sweaty, dirty hands grabbed hold of the most important document I had ever seen. The children had fallen asleep in the car, so I got back inside with them, letting them snooze and sit in the cool of the air-conditioned car while I stared at the envelope. Here we go. It's all here now. Open it up and see. Chapter 29 Love means never having to say you're sorry. When I was a little girl, my daddy never turned on the air conditioning in the summertime. He decided that since we lived on the water, the breezes would keep the house cool. They did not. Also, if he turned on the air conditioning, we would just stay inside all summer and not go out to play and be active. He was right on that one. Summers in Mount Pleasant, South Carolina, are as hot as all get out. All get out is southern for very. Why use one perfectly good word to describe things when you can use several? Things can be heavy, as all get out, or boring, as all get out, etc. We had large box fans in every window, trying to draw in all the cool air we could find. We downed glasses of iced tea, and we stuck to the furniture. Nights were sometimes so unbearable that I would sleep on the screened porch. But every once in a while, a decent nighttime storm would blow through. But every once in a while, a decent nighttime storm would blow through. My bedroom would get so cold, I would need a blanket. Those were the best summer nights. Mom constantly complained to my father about the heat, and rightly so. Dad got to go to an air-conditioned dentist office all day, and we were stuck, literally, to the furniture, at home. So every August, for two weeks or less... Dad turned on the blessed air conditioning, and we had relief. It was magical. The house even smelled better. Cool, recycled air. You could actually sit on the furniture without feeling scratchy and sweaty. Just as Daddy prophesied, I never went outside those two weeks. I plopped myself in front of the television and watched movies on our newly installed box that brought cable television into our world. 
The summer I was 13, I watched Love Story with Ryan O'Neill and Ally McGraw. I was hooked. There was about an hour left of the movie when my mother walked by with her basket of laundry and paused for a moment to see what was on. Oh, Mom, I said, you gotta watch this movie. It's so sweet. I don't like movies. She really did not. The only movie my mother has ever seen is Star Wars, and she hated it. No, Mom, really. Shh, 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 sit down. And much to my surprise, she did. She folded her laundry and got involved in the movie. After a while, she was lying back on the love seat. Her feet were propped up, and she was hooked too. She was wearing white ankle socks, and her feet were tapping against each other. She was content. We were sharing a moment. I kept stealing glances over at her to make sure she was going to stay put. It was like watching a cat. The wrong move, and the cat would leap away and go to another room. By the end, I was crying inconsolably. Mom looked over at me like I was crazy and laughed. Here goes her overly dramatic teenager again. It made her laugh harder. What is wrong with you? She could barely contain herself. Mom! Oh my gracious, this is heartbreaking. Allie McGraw is dying and they really love each other, but it's too late. No, no. Mom stood and picked up her basket. Oh, I don't know why you made me watch this movie. That was terrible and you're overly emotional. And she was gone, leaving laughter in her wake. Chapter 30 Hello, it's me. I was holding the envelope from the investigator in my hands. The car's air conditioning was trying to blow the strands of hair that clung to my forehead, stuck there with sea salt and sand. I hesitated for a second to acknowledge that this was the last moment in my life where I would be in the dark. Inside the envelope was a letter from my investigator telling me to call her as soon as I had time to look over everything so we could discuss what happens next. Page 2. Two photographs of an incredibly beautiful girl with pitch-dark hair and piercingly light blue eyes. The pictures were her junior and senior yearbook pictures, almost certainly Xeroxed from the same machine I had used just a few years earlier. Even in the black-and-white grainy copy, you could tell how light and striking her eyes were. To say that they saw right into you was not an overstatement. I thought she was the most beautiful woman I had ever seen. She does look like me. I knew it. But so much prettier. She seemed approachable and kind. I sat and stared at her. Finally, this was her face. This was my mother. I remembered all those years ago, seeing this woman in the yearbook. I would have never picked her out to be my mother. I thought she was too beautiful. There was no way I could aspire to that. I learned her name. Yes, the number of letters matched the blacked-out ones I had counted over and over again for years. I said her name out loud. I said my mother's name. Her birthday was there. Yes, That month would fit what we thought we knew from her reports. It had been either April or August. We could see an A in the files. April. An Aries. The next thing I saw was a marriage license. She got married about a year and a half after I was born. I looked at the name of this man. I said it out loud. He could be my father. She might have done what she was always planning to do. Go home and resume their relationship. This was amazing. 
She was only married to this man, my father, for about seven years and then divorced him. They didn't have any children. Oh, that means I have no blood siblings, if indeed this was the man from my report. If this man was actually my father and they had gone on with their lives, happily planning a wedding, discovering with such joy that they are expecting a baby, picking out names together, shopping for a crib, I know I would have been so hurt and jealous. Just the thought of it was making my throat close up, so I quickly dismissed it. This is no time for pain. This was a delicious discovery. So I switched directions. She just needed to be with him to help her grieve over me, I would think. She needed him to help her forget her past. She needed him like I needed my first ex-husband. A hero to take her away from memories. She married a second time about seven years after her divorce. She was still married to this man. They had two children, a girl and a boy. Perfect nuclear family. I saw no information about the children. I later found out that my investigator was not comfortable giving information about minors. No problem. They were not my focus. She sent me a photograph of the home my mother was living in, along with her address and phone number. The house was quite large and stately. She had done well for herself, and her family was very comfortable. That made me happy. She was well. She was, I hoped, very happy. She had two children. Well, two of three. I wondered if her husband knew about me. How would she tell him? How would that subject come up? I spent some time with all this information before I called my investigator. I needed to make sure I could sit quietly and speak with her before the children rallied and needed baths and dinners and mommy. We spoke later that evening. She was very pleased with what she had found for me. What a lovely woman your mother is, don't you think? You must be so pleased to know she's well, she told me in her deep Georgia drawl. Yes, I can't believe it. After all this time, I can see the family resemblances, I told her, looking over all the papers spread out on my dining room table with my mother's photographs dead center. I couldn't stop looking at her. Do you really? She asked. That is so exciting. I'm so happy for you. I'm curious, though, I added. I don't see anything about my birth father. Well, yes, that part's proven to be rather tricky. We're pretty sure we know who this man is, but until we are able to verify it, we cannot give you any information. Surely you understand. We don't want anyone playing amateur detective and shocking families all over the state, do we? Well, too late for that, I thought with a smile. We thought you would want your mother's information right away, so we sent all that first. No, I mean, yes, I'm so glad you did. She is my main focus. She's the one I'm most interested in meeting. I held her picture in my hands. My main focus. The investigator suggested that I give my mother a call. I could introduce myself and then ask her, does the date, February 29, 1968, have any meaning for you? We would take the call from there. I practiced with the investigator, and then I practiced in the mirror for hours, I practiced talking to the grainy black-and-white high school picture that I had carefully cut out of the page in the shape of a heart. Hello. Hello? You don't know me. My name is Liz, and I am calling from Charleston, South Carolina. I was hoping you could help me. Does the date, February 29th, hold any special meaning for you? It does? 
I was born on that day and put up for adoption. I have been searching for my birth mother for a very long time now. It seems all my research has led me to you. You are? Oh my! I've waited so long to finally meet you. I understand this must be quite a shock, and I want you to take your time, but I'd love to get in my car right now and drive up to meet you and hug you so hard. I might need to take that down a notch. Take two. I finally mustered up the courage. The children were napping, and all was quiet in the house. I was sitting in my bedroom with her picture, her phone number, my phone, a salt shaker, a wedge of lime, and a shot of tequila. Just one. I didn't want to be slurry, but I was shaking so much I needed to settle down. This could all end right now. I would be speaking with my birth mother. I would hear her voice for the first time. Like my first calls all those years ago, I had waited for a time of day when she would be home alone. First, the shot. Is it drink, lick, suck, or suck, drink, lick? I never remember. Her phone rang, and she answered right away. Hello? 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 Calm down. Breathe. Now go. My name is Liz, and I am calling from Charleston. I was hoping you had a moment that I could speak to you. I hoped I wasn't speaking too quickly. I tended to do this when I was nervous. I tended to speak too quickly even when I wasn't nervous. My father was always telling me to slow down. I could hear his voice in my head at that very moment. Enunciate properly, Elizabeth. I slowed down my speech. It seemed as if the words were being pulled from my mouth like taffy. The tequila burned its way into my body, warming my stomach, easing into my bloodstream. Yes, she said. It's her voice. This is my mother's voice. I closed my eyes to hear it more closely, listening to all the inflections one little word can give. Does the date, February 29th, 1968, hold any special meaning for you? I held my breath. This was it. This was it. Um, nope, it sure doesn't, she replied. Wait, what? No? I started to perspire. I was scrambling. Oh, uh, well, you see, um, that's my birthday. I was born in Charleston and put up for adoption. I was looking for my birth mother, and my search has given me your name. Well, I'm very sorry, but it's not me. The voice on the other end was clearly confused. Oh, well, that's odd. <laughs> what are the chances we could have missed this mark? <laughs> Nervous laughter. Panic. I started to fan my shirt on my body to cool down. Well, yes, I'm afraid you did, and I'm sorry. Uh, goodbye and good luck. She was clearly done with me. Um, yes, well, I, okay, thank you. Click. Hum of the dial tone. I didn't remove the phone from my ear right away. That wasn't right. That wasn't what was supposed to happen. She was supposed to be hesitant, maybe, but eventually happy and excited. This was my big reunion moment, and now it was just over? The hum of the dial tone was still in my ear. She said no. My face flushed a deep red. I knew this wasn't caused by the tequila. Maybe they had the wrong information. This was horrible. I started to get upset. I called my investigator to share the news. She was very gentle with me and assured me that I had done nothing wrong. This was not unexpected. Now you tell me. 
It might just have been her first reaction to such a shocking phone call. They suggested I try again, after the news had had time to sink in a bit more. I agreed and called back. She answered right away, and I apologized for calling back. I just had to be clear. If she wasn't the right woman, then I had to redo my search. So just to be clear, is this... I said her full name. No, she said. That's not my name. My middle name is blank. I get calls for this woman all the time. It's rather annoying. Oh, so your birthday is not April 19... No, it's January, and I'm 10 years younger than that. They had the wrong person. I was nervous and upset, but so relieved that I laughed. I am so sorry for the shock. (laughs) What a weird day you've just had. Oh my, perhaps this is going to be okay after all. I was almost giddy. She ended up getting a good chuckle out of it herself. She wished me good luck, and I thanked her for being my trial run. After this call, the real one wouldn't be nearly as bad. She was sincerely happy for me. We said goodbye. The investigator was mortified that she had made such a horrible mistake and called me the next morning with the correct phone number. She assured me that all the other information, including the address and the pictures, were correct. Day 2 Today I was more prepared. I was nervous, but I didn't need a drink. I just needed to wait for the right time of day. I was prepared for shock or denial. I was ready to ease her into the fact that I had found her and that I was not going to try to disrupt her life. I was ready to convince her that she needed me just as much as I needed her, and it was all going to be so wonderful. Bad dress rehearsal? Great opening night. Isn't that what they say? Hello? I struggled to find my own voice. This was, finally, the first time I had ever heard my mother's voice. She had a distinctive southern accent, much heavier than mine, and I thought instantly she sounded like an upstate girl. Hello, am I speaking to... I included all of her names to make sure this was the right woman. I was not taking any chances this time. Yes, you are. Such a lovely voice. Bingo. Brick wall. Down. Cue the trumpeting angels. We have arrived. I just had to get it out all in one breath. I didn't want her to have a chance to hang up or to be too busy to talk to me. My name is Liz, and I'm calling from Charleston. If I could just have a minute of your time, I need to ask you, does the date February 29th, 1968, have any special significance to you? And in the tidy kitchen of her well-appointed home, This woman slides down the wall of the room and thinks, Oh God, this day has finally come. Well, no, it doesn't. I'm sorry, she said. Oh, I was hoping not to get this response again, but at least this time I was prepared. You've got this deep breath. Well, that's my birthday. I was born in Charleston and given up for adoption. Really? she asked sympathetically. She was thinking, she sounds like a Charleston girl. Yes, and I have always wanted to find my birth mother and tell her how brave she was, how much I'm grateful to her. Take it slow, Liz. Don't get too excited. Don't say that you really could be there in time for dinner. Well, that's very nice, but I don't know how I could help you with that. 
she said. Well, it's interesting, Mrs. Because I have had the matter looked into, and your name was given to me as my mother. Well, I'm not sure how that could happen, because it certainly is not me. She's speaking to me like I'm a very simple child who does not understand a basic problem. Brick wall, back up. Shh, angel chorus, quiet now. Give me some more time to think. I cannot let her stop talking. I didn't really know what to do next. I was not going to argue with her. She sounded so kind and gentle. I could hear that she was trying to be very sweet with me. Her voice was really lovely. A genteel southern woman. I was dead in the water. I'm not really sure how that happened either, I said. I was trying hard not to get emotional, and I forced my voice to stay calm. I guess, then, that I'm sorry I bothered you. I was just so sure that I was finally heading in the right direction. It's very confusing. I was scrambling. Just keep talking until you think of something else to say, some magic that will open her up to this. I know it must be. I'm so sorry. She was very nice about it, very much in control. She was not in control at all. She's sitting on a cold tile floor. The room is spinning around her. What is she going to do about this? Thank you. I didn't want to hang up. I couldn't think of anything else to say. There was a moment of silence between us. You know, she suddenly broke the silence. If I were in your shoes, I would be doing the same thing you are. Really? You would? I used a tone that should clearly infer that I was surprised, because this was her big moment. Yes, I understand, she said. More silence. Well, I'll let you go. I'm sorry to have bothered you. Goodbye, Mrs. I was stunned. It didn't go well at all. She acted as if she wasn't her. She denied me. How could I fix this? Where could I go from here? This could not be the end. I was 34 years old. I had waited so long to get this close, to hear her voice. And this was it? This couldn't be the end. I can get in my car right now, check into a hotel nearby her, and wait until the same time tomorrow. I can knock on her door and tell her that it's me. Look at me. Can't you see it? I'm your daughter, and I don't know you, but I love you. I have waited so long to meet you. Please just let me come in for one minute. I won't stay long. Please hold me. Instead, I sat alone and cried. I was afraid to leave my room at that moment. I did not want to see the looks of sympathy and the I told you so's that I would be hearing. I just wanted to change everything that had just happened. This wasn't what I had dreamed about. I had gone as far on this journey as I could. This was it. I waited so long to know the truth about my adoption and the few little facts I was given by the state. I waited so long for the actual name and information. I had reached out, and now I was done? I couldn't force myself on her. So this was it. This was where my story ended. I tried to console myself. After all, she had two young children. I'm not sure how young, but I'm sure she didn't want to have to explain me to them. As a mother, I totally understood this. I didn't like it, but I understood it. I decided to write her a letter. It was the second very important letter I wrote in my life while tears streamed down my face 
and I felt I had come to the end of a road and was lost. The great difference was this letter had a feeling of hope, of a future. In the letter, I told her that I completely understood what a shock it must have been to hear from me out of the blue. I told her that despite her denial, I was aware that she was indeed my birth mother, and I understood her hesitation to speak openly with me. I told her all about my family and myself. I let her know that I was not looking for a big commitment. I would be happy to keep her secret from her family, but if there was any way we could meet, it would mean so much to me. I included my phone number, my address, and a picture of my children and myself. I sent the letter via certified mail to make sure she got it. I saved the delivery notice it was sent back to me. She had the most beautiful, scrolling, cursive handwriting. I liked looking at it. And I waited. And there was nothing. Nothing.